This Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk is with David Axelrod, considered Barack Obama's key political strategist. On February 25th, he spoke at the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth about his book, Believer, My 40 Years in Politics, now number two on the New York Times bestseller list. We discuss here the journey that brought him from working as a young boy on Robert Kennedy's Senate campaign to orchestrating Barack Obama's election as the nation's first American-African-American president, his emotions after the passage of the Affordable Health Care Act, and how he sees the 2016 campaign shaping up. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on Global IQ. Great to be with you. You know, the title of your book, Believer, uh, really represents, I think, your confidence after 40 years in, in the political system. But given the gridlock in D.C., low voter turnout, which was really abysmal in the midterms, why should we share your optimism? Well, uh, you're right that I, I am optimistic, and it's not just the title, but I, I actually wanted the subtitle to be How My Idealism Survived 40 Years in Politics, because I do understand the this, this, this skepticism, even the cynicism that we uh, see today, but I also view uh, politics as the way we grab the wheel of history and turn it ever so slightly in the right direction. And even in these very difficult times, we've, we've navigated through the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. We've seen the American auto industry saved and revived. Uh, we've tackled an issue of, on health reform that seven presidents had tried to address and seven presidents had failed to address. We had 180,000 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan when uh, this president took office. Now there are 15, and uh, we're in a much different place. And obviously there are continued complications, but um, but he uh, ran uh, pledging to end those wars, and, and he's wound them down. There's so many ways in which we're in a different place than we were even uh, uh, six years ago. Uh, and this is in the midst of partisan retrenchment and some of the problems that we've seen. I am concerned about the uh, loss of confidence or in the system that people have. And one of the reasons I wrote this book was to say, you know, this matters. This really does matter. And you can avert your eyes and walk away. But Congress is still going to meet. Uh, decisions are still going to be made, and it behooves all of us to take an interest in it and make sure that those decisions comport with our sense of where the country should go. And you're at the University of Chicago now. You have been working in an institute. Yes. What are you doing there that's really trying to engage that the, people? The whole purpose of the Institute of Politics that I began, uh, that I launched in 2013, is to uh, is to make the case to young people by exposing them to practitioners across the political spectrum, and not just office holders or, or strategists, but journalists and policymakers, to, uh, uh, to encourage them to get into the arena. You know, these, I think this is the most public-spirited group of young people that I've seen since the 1960s. They care about the world. They've lived through some very difficult times. They want to make a difference, but they're very skeptical as to whether politics is the way to make a difference. Their attitude is, hey, let's, let's start an app. You know, let's invent an app, let's uh, use social media, and all of that's very powerful, but we still need them to help guide us into the future. And uh, so my goal is to expose them through internships, through speakers, through visiting fellows who come to the opportunities and the challenges uh, of uh, serving and to encourage them to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see. That's great, but, you know, 
when, when you were, I think, age five, when mm -hmm. others were learning how to throw a baseball, you were already canvassing precincts. <laughs> what got you so interested, really? At you know, I mean, I mean, there was one seminal event, and I write about it in my book. Uh, John F. Kennedy came to the little community where I lived in Manhattan. Uh, it was a housing development called Stuyvesant Town, built for returning war veterans. And uh, the woman who took care of me when I was uh, when my mother was at work heard that JFK was coming. She brought me there, sat me down on a mailbox, and I watched this incredible spectacle where this big boulevard filled in with people, and they were watched this uh, young red-haired guy with rapt attention as he talked about the future of the country, his voice booming off the buildings. And I thought it was the most exciting thing that I'd ever seen, and I started paying a lot of attention to him, to the news, to government. Uh, and that was the beginning of my interest. And interestingly, what he said that day is basically what I just said to you a couple of seconds ago, which is we can determine the quality of our future. That's what elections are about. And I believe that to this day. Now, switching a little bit to your relationship with President Obama, you were a key political strategist. He listened to you most of the time, <laughs> but on the Affordable Health Care Act, he didn't. And not just on the Affordable Health Care Act. You know, uh, my job was to give him political advice, the calculus of, of these decisions as it related to politics. Uh, but he didn't always accept the politics uh, as uh, limiting. And one of the reasons I admire him so much is he's someone who believes that losing elections is not the worst thing that can happen to you. He thinks holding office and not doing anything of substance to deal with the real problems we face is a, an abdication that is worse than losing an election. So uh, I did tell him that I thought that uh, uh, it was a tremendous political uh, undertaking to take on this Affordable Care Act and one that would be very costly. Uh, but I admired him for, uh, I always say I love him so much because he listens to me so little. Uh, you know, I give him the political calculations and he makes uh, a different set of calculations based on what he thinks is best for the country. And that's why I, I, I really enjoyed working for him. The passage of the Affordable Health Care Act really meant a lot to you, didn't it? It did, and uh, that's why giving that political advice was tough. I have a child, seven months old, uh, who at, at the age of seven months started having seizures. This was in 1981. And uh, uh, for 19 years, she had uncontrolled seizures. And as a young newspaper reporter, which I was at the time, my family almost went bankrupt because they didn't. Uh, my insurance didn't cover much of what she needed. So the night the Affordable Care Act passed was a really emotional night for me. I went into my office, closed the door, had a big cry. I surprised myself, actually, by that. And the reason I cried was because I realized that because of what we did that night and because of what he had done, uh, other people wouldn't have to go through what we went through. And I found the president, and I thanked him on behalf of all the families who wouldn't have to go through what we went through. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, that's why we do the work. And in a way, that's what this is all about. This is what I believe, that that is why you do the work. It's not just about winning for the red team or the blue team or, or, or who's up in the Daily Gallup poll. It's about what can you do to improve the lives of people, to improve the, 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 the trajectory of the country. But that's easy to forget with the 24-7 news coverage. And you come from a background in journalism. I got out of that. I got out of journalism really, because, reason, well, I really, I saw the direction in which things were going, and it made me uncomfortable because I love being a newspaper man. I believe then and now in the mission of journalism to shine a bright light in dark corners uh, and to bring perspective to people. But uh, the news cycle today makes it very hard because there's such competition for eyeballs. There's so many outlets. People tend to choose outlets and that afford their point of view. Subject. 
And uh, well, yeah, and, and usually it is not the right subject. I mean, uh, I, I've said many times that what you learn when you're in the White House is that uh, every every few weeks or months. You're, you're confronted with what the news media calls the defining event of your presidency. So the oil leak in the Gulf was the defining event of the Obama presidency. Do you know that nobody was talking? It didn't come up once in the 2012 uh, campaign because it was handled uh, and we moved on. We just saw it most recently in the Ebola outbreak, where for several uh, weeks it led the news. You know, America it's only led the news in Dallas. Yes. Well, in Dallas, there was reason for it to lead, lead, uh, to lead the news, but it was never the case that a wide-scale outbreak was in the cards for the country. The public health experts were very clear on that, and it became whipped up into a kind of a hysteria that, that disappeared as quickly as it began. No, we just have a minute or two, and I wanted to ask you about foreign policy. Mm -hmm. it, of course, our audience are all keen observers of international affairs, but foreign policy never really seems to play a, a big role in elections. Do you think it will be different in 2016? Well, clearly there are concerns. Every, everyone is concerned about ISIS and the, uh, the spread of ISIS and, and terrorism. Uh, so that's going to be an issue. But I really, I still believe that the fundamental issue is going to be very much about the economy. You know, we've recovered well, better than most countries, I think because of some of the decisions the president made. But we still have a challenge, and all mature economies do, which is how do you create an economy in the 21st century in which hard work is rewarded, people can get ahead, you have economic mobility, and not these huge gaps that we see today of, of opportunity and wealth. Uh, and... Uh, uh, that is going to take a strategy. That is going to take work. I think that's going to dominate uh, the 2016 election. I'd probably be remiss if I didn't ask you to take out a crystal ball. And in your book, you wrote, when incumbents step down, voters rarely opt for a replica of what they have, even when that outgoing leader is popular. They almost always choose change over the status quo. Right. What would you tell Hillary Clinton now? Well, you know, but that change doesn't necessarily mean change in party. It means change from the style of the person who is there. And... Uh, Barack Obama represented a profound change from George W. Bush, who tended to see the world in more Manichaean terms, black and white. Obama was a guy who saw the, the nuances, the gray, and, uh, and people wanted that. They wanted a more deliberative president. I think the, 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 the pendulum is going to swing back. I think they're going to want a little more, uh, a little less nuance and a little more black and white. And they're also, I think, going to want someone less who can challenge the system in Washington and more someone who can manage the system in Washington. And in, so in many ways, the, I think the tableau may be better for Hillary Clinton, the scenario in 2016, than it was in 2008. David, I have to tell you, I really enjoyed your book. Thank you. Uh, I really encourage people to buy a copy. Uh, it's, it's not just one of the best books I've read about the campaign, but also how you go into some of the challenges facing journalists in, in your early career. And I guess I'm not the only one who feels that way. How's it doing? It's doing very well. It's How's doing it very well. We just, uh, New York, we got the news today that uh, on March 8th, because these come out 10 days right. in advance, it'll be number two on the nonfiction New York Times bestseller list. So well, it's well un I'm unbelievably gratified by that, and I'm appreciative uh, for, of opportunities like this to talk well, about. Congratulations, and thank you for being our guest on Global IQ Minute. Thank you.